0: Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's guest is Billy Wagner. Yes, Billy Wagner, one of the most dominant relief pitchers of all time. You could argue a worthy Hall of Fame candidate. Truly a magnificent career. And as great a pitcher as he was, man, oh man, does this guy love to teach. He's a high school coach in Virginia at one of the top-rated... uh Prep baseball teams in the country, and uh, that's largely thanks to his efforts. He's been tremendous, and I, I, there's just so much enthusiasm. I don't even want to hype this up too much or, or get too far into it. I just want you to listen because, yeah, we talk about his career and the fact that he was, you know, five foot ten and 180 pounds, something like that, breaking into the big leagues and, and wielding a 97 mile an hour fastball and just. The stories he tells about getting Barry Bonds out and stuff like that is great. The playing stuff is great, but you just have to listen to this guy talk about how much he fundamentally loves to teach. And whatever, you know, you get cynical about whatever industry you're in, maybe in athletics too. You get down, you get this, you get that. He's an optimist. He's a people person. This guy makes me want to run through a brick wall. I wish I played high school baseball for him and... Whatever, I was a terrible baseball player. Okay, basketball, terrible baseball. But yeah, just, I, I can't even express to you how good I felt after talking to Billy Wagner. I'd never talked to him before, I'd never interviewed him, um, but it worked out. Thanks to emigo uh, Lindsay Barnes and uh, his compadres uh, in and around Charlottesville for making this happen, by the way, and uh, yeah, like I said, this was one of those things that just happened to uh, have come about, thanks largely to Mr. Barnes and some other folks. Uh, but it was such a cool chat, and it's so interesting to get to know people that I just don't know anything about, and then we end up talking for an hour, and I feel better for it. And I hope you will, too. I think you'll really, really like this a lot. Hey, let's talk about this week's sponsor, friends. You could probably guess who it is. It's SeatGeek! Of course it's SeatGeek! SeatGeek has been sponsoring me since, I don't know, the Mesozoic era. Is that an era? Probably it's an era. Uh... And I mean that in the best way because they've been a fantastic sponsor throughout. Listen, it's the best place to buy or sell tickets to anything you could possibly want to baseball games and hockey games and basketball games and whatever. All of it. Seeking has it for you. Color-coded map makes it really easy to use, simple, intuitive. It's fantastic. I am just such a big fan of everything that they do and uh, the way that they go about it. And I've used them a billion, zillion, trillion times. It's really, really a great way to buy or sell tickets to any event that you could possibly want. How about this? Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code JONAH today, and you'll get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Yeah, that's right. Download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code JONAH, and get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. You know what? If you've listened to this podcast regularly, you've heard that promo. Got another one for you. How about this? SeatGeek has a special offer for all MLB purchasers, not just first-timers. First-timer maybe, but if, even if you're not a first-timer, even if you've used SeatGeek before, here it is. Use the promo code KERI, that's K-E-R-I, and you'll get 10 bucks off of MLB tickets. Yeah, that's right. Promo code Carrie for ten bucks off MLB tickets. Just go ahead and use promo code Jonah again for twenty dollars off of your any first time purchase, baseball or not. But ten bucks off of MLB tickets, regardless of whether this is the first time you're using SeatGeek or the ten thousandth time you've used SeatGeek. And if you have used it ten thousand times, you should email me and tell me because that's pretty good. Uh yeah, use SeatGeek; they're fantastic. Thank you, SeatGeek, for sponsoring the podcast. Quick programming notes, uh, CBS Sports is where you will find me doing lots and lots of video. If you go to cbsports.com you'll find a link at the bottom of the page for HQ. HQ is our 24-hour streaming service. It's digital video. I am talking about baseball constantly on that platform. Listen to me there. I'll be writing for CBS Sports uh, throughout the season as well. From time to time, probably a little bit more video than writing. But you'll get writing from me there. And sportsnet.ca is the other place where you'll find a lot of my writing. Every Thursday, writing about the Jays, uh, typically from an analytical angle. Sometimes it's not about the Jays, but often about the Jays. And uh, we'll see what else comes down the pike as the year goes on. I imagine I'll jump into some other things, uh, too. So check all of that out. Check out this episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast as well. It is with Billy Wagner. Enjoy. Very excited to have on the podcast uh, the terrific longtime Major League relief pitcher and uh, possible Hall of Fame candidate, Billy Wagner. How are you? Well, I'm doing great, Janet. Oh, it's great to have you on, and uh, I, the story of your career is such a great one. You think of some of the really imposing and devastating pitchers that have come up through history. Uh, you were not that guy. You uh, you're coming out of high school about 5'10", 170, and built this great career, and even before that... I want to start by talking a little bit about, um, your childhood, you know, coming up a little bit and how, uh, you know, oftentimes the paths of players will be laced with various challenges along the way. And I know for you, it wasn't, uh, always easy. Um, you know, how did you navigate the path just in terms of your parents having a tough time and, uh, you know, money being tight and trying to find your way as a, as a budding athlete, but also just as a human being, as a kid? <laughs> uh, in broad strokes, I guess, uh, we're all, as
1: as human beings, we're all placed with obstacles in our life. And it's, it's based on how, you know, how we handle these these obstacles is kind of how we make our life, how we go about becoming successful or going down the wrong path. And so, um, one thing my parent, you know, uh, it, it wasn't the, the happy-go-lucky uh, childhood as everybody we could imagine uh but it was uh it wasn't that i didn't feel you know my parents were divorced when i was 5 uh remarried uh it was uh abusive uh ex-spouses uh, but uh, but there was there was a love factor i knew that my parents loved me yeah. uh and you know by by having this they also gave me uh options uh, i had great grandparents that took me in and uh, gave me uh, what I needed. Uh, I had an aunt and uncle who adopted me before I went into high school and gave me the opportunity to play sports. Uh, My cousin was um, a huge role model for me and allowed me to see uh, a work ethic.
0: Well, sure, and and I have to imagine that would come in handy uh, as well. Your cousin, in particular, Jeff Lamey, was a terrific athlete in his own right, right? I mean, so I have to imagine, you know, work ethic and also just – Having a role model, you know, if when you're coming up as an athlete, and again, as a human being, having somebody to look up to, whether it's an older sibling, cousin, you know, maybe a friend or whatever would seem to come in handy. Sounds like he started in your life, but really solidified his role in your life just at the right time.
1: Well, you know, I always felt like God had a huge hand in, my, in, in everything I did, uh, whether I, you know, uh, forced the issue or not. And uh, my faith has been uh, uh, huge for for how I go about, uh, decisions and right or wrong, uh, uh, being able to, to, to use my faith as a repent or a, uh, a guidance. So, uh, but, um, it just seems like every, every opportunity I had to go down the wrong path, there was someone, uh, Eric Robinson or Jeff Lammy or, or somebody that was there that was going to, Keep me in the right path and then of course meeting my wife and uh, her having uh, such an influence on me uh yeah you know it, it it did change my my outlook and that that frustrated teen years of uh you know of being undersized being uh, undervalued uh those things uh, and so um having all those those obstacles i I think it's helped me to uh you know to guide more teens. Uh, my high school coach, coach Lou Perry was a huge uh, role model for me as, as not looking down at, at size. Um, uh, I think teens today are, that we are, they're so forced to, to look a certain way, be a certain way to be an, an athlete that, that it's really hard to, uh, to, to, for them to see value in themselves, if they're not reaching certain goals. And so, um, that my coach uh, in high school and my college coach and and some of the experiences I had growing up and uh, going to pro baseball, you know, made me want to be more of a coach and a mentor to these kids because I I wanted to show that there's more to value than being uh, a, a big leaguer or uh, uh or or had feeling like that's the only path that they could they could have. So, um, you know, I you know I, that has been what I felt you know God has Asked me to do, and hopefully, in some capacity, I've done it in a in a, a subpar uh, manner for for the for the kids.
0: Absolutely, and I definitely want to get to uh, more discussion of your role at the Miller School of Albemarle and how you've been able to contribute on that level. Um, and later on in the conversation as well, uh, I want to touch on the stature thing, the size thing, because I think that's so interesting. You know. I've done podcasts with, like, Shaquille O'Neal. You know what I mean? Shaquille O'Neal was never like, well, I'm I'm undersized. I don't think it's going to work for me. I think he had an inkling that things would go well. Um, You were a great athlete by all accounts. But, uh, you know, being a little bit on the small side in high school, I'm wondering about that. About when you think that the switch flipped. I know in your senior year you had this huge season not only as a pitcher, but, gosh, you had 450 and stole a bunch of bases, and you were really just a great all-around athlete. Was it around that time that you thought, oh gee, I can make a go of this and maybe make some money professionally? Or was it still like, okay, I'm in Virginia, I'm doing my thing, I'll go to college, let's see what happens. Where did you stand in terms of your uh, aspirations at that point?
1: Well, I think it's funny because I don't know if there was aspirations because of, I think everybody wanted to play probate. Um, sure. uh, You know, I, I think that's, the, you know, what, I mean, in Southwest Virginia, the, it's almost that thought of, you know, uh, probably, yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, but it, it's not one of those thoughts that you go, well, you know, that's probably going to happen. Right. Uh, but but I think that the, I, I never put myself in a situation to think about tomorrow. What, mm. what, You know, what could tomorrow bring? It was, I'm going to work hard today. I'm going to play hard today. I'm going to do the best I can today. And I'm going to overcome whatever I got to do today. And, and um, you know, so... You know, when you have the, the the people around you that are the critics, instead of for me going uh, using it as a uh, opportunity to go, oh well, you're probably right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be successful. and I'm not gonna have this opportunity, I use that as a,
0: uh, you know, as
1: a as, as that little uh, tip on the shoulder to go. Well, I'll, I'll show you. Yeah. And and, and that's uh, you know, because the good thing is, is as little as. Um, everybody has pointed that I was compared to everybody else. It's never been about the height and size. It's been about the heart and desire to, 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 to compete and, and go out there and achieve, Uh, you know, for the most part, you got to have the opportunity. And I've, I've been many times blessed over with the opportunity of uh, going out there and being able to put myself in in a successful situation uh, by going to a small school and, uh, playing with, uh, some great players, uh, like Eric Owens and people that got drafted, uh, out of farm. And so bringing that attention, then having the opportunity to go to Cape Cod league and, and becoming, a um, a, a player and seeing the outside world instead of just seeing that small Virginia part of the world. Uh, I got to see more of, uh, the country and the talent and, and, you know, once you go out there and you're, you're able to compete with those guys, then, you know, I think those are things that kind of open up things. But for me, I was never, it was never, I mean, being on welfare, being, living, you know, day to day, uh, not knowing, you know, if you're having a meal or if you, these things will happen, uh, you know, I never took it as the luxury of thinking about, I'm going to, you know, this is all going to work out. I'm going to be in the big league. I'm going to make millions of dollars and all this. It was never about that. It was, if I get to play, the, you know, I'm going to play as hard today. And if I get to play tomorrow, I'm going to play as hard I can tomorrow. And so it was really my, that, you know, maybe it's just that dumb, naive, uh, uh, kid from Southwest Virginia who didn't put, you know, he, I wasn't trying to look at the bigger picture and, and, and make more out of it. It was more of me just saying, you know what, I, this is who I am. Uh, you know, I, I'm an overachiever. I'm going to go out there and continue to overachieve. and when you tell me i can't i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna outwork you and so those are things but i think those are things that were given to me from my high school coach from my my uh my cousin uh and some of the great athletes that were around me that you know uh inspired me to to be uh more and not to settle for just being uh you know average and so uh th- those are those were the thing that was some things for me that you know helped me push through the whole, uh, uh, I guess push through the whole size thing because that was yeah. I never felt as small as everybody wanted to make me feel and uh, you know those are the things that probably inspired me to want to to be better because uh, everybody wants to know why this is possible. Everybody wants to know, and sometimes it's just you know God's blessed you and I've got that you know being a natural right hander and throwing left handed. There is no <laughs> You know that in itself speaks volumes yeah. about, you know the, you know what, uh, you know, you know God had placed for me to give me that opportunity. But I, I think you know for me having all these experiences to be able to, to to look back at, and it was very easy for me to be bitter and 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 choose so many different things. I think that um, you know that's why uh, choosing to go down to be a mentor and doing things like that and fight for the opportunity to be a big leaguer and the, the uh right to belong or feel like you belong you know that was uh that was probably for me not even a – it was a no brainer to me
0: absolutely just to put up for the listeners uh, by the way since you cited a couple of these things Number one, uh, Billy broke his right arm twice as a young kid, you know, three, four, five years old, Yeah, yeah. Uh, and ended up throwing left-handed as a result. So that, that's a pretty interesting origin story. And then Ferrum College, uh, this is a Division three liberal arts college, a fine school, uh, but not necessarily UCLA or Texas or, or Stanford. And, uh, you know, you mentioned yourself, Ann Owens, coming out of there, and uh, you're being slightly modest, too. Uh, Billy said, "All-time records, NCAA records. I believe that still stand. Most strikeouts per nineteen for nine innings, nineteen strikeouts per nine innings, and fewer than two hits allowed per nine innings. You were unhittable. So Ferrum College, which might not have been a powerhouse necessarily, uh, certainly became known once you and Eric really stepped to the fore, which was a pretty interesting uh, phenomenon in its own right. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, uh, I followed my cousin to
1: Ferrum, and yeah. I actually went to Ferrum to play football." I love football. I don't. I mean, you talking about being undersized? Go to play nose grand. tackle, right? Uh, That's where you're gonna football. play. I was a defensive back. Also, not a nose and, tackle. You were not gonna play nose tackle
0: no, at 170. <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no, no. That would have been clearly uh, undersized. <laughs> but uh, being a defensive back, uh, I yep. was fast at the time, and yep. so uh, uh, you know, being playing that that role was good. But I, after a few uh, after a season being beat around and uh, and things like that, my my defensive back coach uh Dave Davis, uh probably one of the smartest men uh, men I've known and I highly have always respected him. Uh he uh he came and watched me pitch and um after the game he met me uh in the dugout and we walked down to the locker room and he, he just told me uh he told me that it, uh, he goes, you know, you probably play you'll probably play your four years of football at Farm and yep. and things, but you're not going to the NFL. And, uh, you know, you have a real career opportunity for baseball. And he goes, but now if you decide that uh, you, you still want to play football, he goes, I'm not going to let you hit, but I am going to run you, hmm. and I'm going to get you in the best shape to be a, a baseball player. Huh. And so it was one of those, uh, you know, it, you know, guys that just was looking out for me that saw more uh, – I felt – thought more about me. And it was the, one of the a great decision made for me to uh, – to to take this uh opportunity. But you know, it was uh you know, you know, I thought that uh you know, I, I, I mean I love football. Football was probably my passion before baseball, but once uh you know, once I really bought in and said, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. People are starting to see it. but, you know, still at that point really not really knowing if that was if you were that good. You know, I, I don't think I ever really visioned myself as being really that good. It was just I'm good for there being at yeah. fair, I didn't really look at the records and and stuff like that to go. Oh, that's good because you know it's really it was it's really easy to say. Oh, you know it's Division three, but you know when you think about it, uh, at that point in our conference, uh, uh, we had North Carolina Wesleyan, who was coached by UNC now's coach Mike Fox. Yeah, um, and so you had you had. I mean, they were. We were ranked always in the top five in the nation. They were ranked in the top five in the nation. And then our other conference uh, opponent, Methodist, Methodist, was ranked in the top uh, five in the nation. So it wasn't like you were going to play at just, you know, a small college. You were playing at a a, a, a very uh, uh, strong baseball uh, school. So yeah. – uh, you know that that kind of prepared you, but you didn't realize. I mean, I didn't realize that, that was that, that any of this was possible coming out of fair and uh, then uh, I, I think going to Cape Cod made made a big a big difference. But that's when I got the national exposure. But even at that point, or even really after I got drafted, it was more. Uh, oh well, I'm just going to play baseball. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about the, what the money was going to do for me. It was just really. I, I never had that. Issue, I think, um, and I think that's because I'd really never put that type of expectation on myself. Mm-hmm. Where today, these kids put such expectations on themselves to go and pitch Division One, play for UVA, play for some of these schools, yeah. and so they really uh, are short-sighted, and um, and they can't value themselves when when UVA doesn't call them or these schools don't call, major schools don't come, and they, so they see. These division twos and threes and jucos as you know uh, uh, smaller uh, you know less uh, lesser schools, but in, in all honesty, these are probably the schools that m- more of these kids need to invest themselves in than the division ones because they they need that development. And so, trying to talk to these kids, they need they need people that have been there and done that, and have not always went to the bigger schools and become successful. To explain and, and mentor to them and the say, this is a good path. These are good ways to get to where you want to and get the education and, and the push just as, as much as going to the uh, stronger D1 schools. But, you know, uh, but that, that, that's sort of, you know, trying to have that role for these kids to kind of talk to because at Miller, I've been very blessed with a ton of talent, a yeah. ton of uh, kids that have come through the organization that ha- are more, that are, you know, when they start, you know, they all tell me the same thing. They want to play, you know, pro baseball. They want to be big one, and I and I love it because I'm like, hey, you know what? That's great. That's what I want you to do. I'm, you know, we're gonna push and fight and go there, and then, you know, as we get closer, we'll make these decisions. But it's, you know, <clears throat> I guess my reputation and is I, I'm just not very very good at gray areas. So I don't. I'm, I'm not one to sit there and. and and I'm not one to blow your, your dreams and stuff up because I had plenty of those people trying to blow my dreams up. And so that's been another step that's allowed me to talk to these kids and and, and, and be honest with them. You know, I, uh, I think these kids respond better to the honesty now rather than getting to that college level and then all of a sudden just being blown up and not understanding uh, that uh, this is this is the world we live in. And. and it it makes it harder for them so i you know i'm we sit down and and have these discussions about schools and you know sometimes they're like very they can't believe that you know these aren't options and you know uh but soon after that they've been able to realize hey, you know this has worked out better for me and you know there's nothing worse than hearing something that you don't want to hear so uh but you know, we 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 have talks and we 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 work things out and you know we work to get them to where they want to be. But you know, ultimately, it's just to let them know that I've been there and that you know I'm here to make you successful. This has not got anything to do with me being successful because whether we win state championships in high school or not, it's not really that's not my goal. My I, I mean, I I played the highest level, so I don't those I'm not here for that. I'm here to really help. Teach kids how to play baseball, how to be good young men, how to manage their time, and and help them through some of their tough their tough teenage decisions at this point. And I think all the things that I've went through and and the path that God has put put in front of me and and stuff, and the people that have been there to help me have allowed me to to be able to take this role for these kids. And so th- those are, these are the the great things. Even all the accomplishments I've had the greatest accomplishment I'll, I'll have is giving each kid the opportunity by not being in that gray area and uh, just being honest with them. And and every day we're honest with, with each other. I mean, I think when they learn how to self-evaluate their self to a point, because most of these kids today can't value themselves because if they haven't hit four home runs in the game and are not throwing – 95 by their sophomore year and not committed, they're they're awful. So teaching them how to value their self too, it, within that that uh, black and white manner is, is it, it's a challenge, but I think it pays off because the kids the kids they're, they they know they know what you know they know what they get or what what I see and you know and this isn't something I just kind of throw off the cuff and say you know you're D one, or you're not. You're this or you're that. It, you know, these are things down the road. I mean, I don't tell a, a sophomore kid that he's a D one player uh during practice yeah. when when he's a sophomore. Yeah. So you know, he goes, "Coach, you think I can play at this school?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think you play at this school." But you know, you're you're two years away from <laughs> worrying about this. So worry about today. And so those are the things I try to to, to work with and. Enjoy today, and and, and your your work today will create a positive
0: tomorrow. What do you think the role of roving organizations, events, tournaments, stuff like Perfect Games, you know, the academies and all that stuff, you are coaching, you know, kind of more traditional high school baseball. You have a school, you have a team, you're going to coach, but you see these uh, organizations like Perfect Game and others – and they seem committed to being showcases, you know, that it's about, can this mm-hmm. kid throw 98? That it's about, can this kid, you know, let's, let's measure the measurables and all that. And, and it's a, it's a split, seems like it's a split opinion in the industry. On the one hand, you can develop skills that way, but on the other hand, a lot of the things that you talked about, which is kind of the combination of confidence and humility, the combination of being, uh, aggressive, but also understanding that development takes time. They're not that patient at those other places. Where do you come down on all that stuff, which has become such a huge part of uh, of amateur baseball? Well, uh, you can be well, honest on the show.
1: Cause, <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I coach a travel team. Okay, and and I'll be the first to say it's the necessary evil. Yeah. Now the travel team that I'm coaching is one of those that gets to gets to practice. You get to develop their kids. They're not from. In different states, they're more of a the the local, uh, maybe a couple hours away from you type of uh, area. So, uh, and I've coached the the, the national teams for uh, the EverShoot Canes. I've done some of these things, and what I what what I notice is that the talent is tremendous. There is so much talent in in, a, in America with baseball, hmm. but the, but there is absolutely no IQ. To how to play it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and that comes from, you know, I, I think perfect game makes it, it is great. I think, uh, you know, the Under Armour, the PBR, all these rankings are great yep. for college coaches. Yes. They're not great for college players or wanting wanting to be college players because um, you can't value yourself. Uh, yeah. There's, there's not that team concept. I mean, all these colleges want this, these great athletes. But really, what the top 25, you know, 30 Division One schools want is the minor league reject coming out of high school who is probably going to go pro. But they want him. They want a minor league team.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and and they like these cookie cutters, and so they really look at these the top 100 lists, and they go, Oh, I'm going to go after these guys. Well, a lot of your talent are your your developed are, are 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 kids that aren't as developed at that point. They have size, but they don't have they're long and lanky. And so, a lot of these kids. I mean, it's really hard for these uh, kids to go to these events because uh, you can be good, a very good player. You can run well, you can hit well, throw well, you can do well, and have a bad week and and not even uh, get get a a look. Uh, I, but you can really have that week where you go out there and you, you've had a terrible summer, and all of a sudden you go to a perfect game and you hit three home runs and you do just some things that kind and people are just all over you. So yeah, it, it's really hard because it's not that team, it's not a real team situation. So it puts a lot of pressure on the individuals. And I mean, in Virginia, there's a a a Sue. A, a, I don't know the number, but talking to other coaches, there's a. a, a there's a huge suicide rate going on right now with oh, God. these kids so stressed out wow. about, you know, getting to college and not getting to college, getting to a T1 college. Yeah. And uh, and so it, it really affects how you talk to these kids and how how they see their something, And, you know, I, for me, um, I think that it, the, the perfect games and the showcases have allowed only one thing and it's selfish that's, unik'd or uh and, and for your colleges to make it so easy to see these kids. They they can see then they, they can't tell if they're a good ball player. They can tell if they've got good bat speed. They can tell if they throw hard. They can tell if they run. But they really have a hard time seeing if they even know how to play the game. And you know, in college baseball is so awesome but it's changed the whole dynamics of baseball in general because most college baseball players have such a learning curve if they ever go pro that it takes them a while because the college coaches now are so pressured to win that development is really out the window. I mean, every pitching coach tells every catcher what to tell what pitcher. And every, every pitching coach wants the same pitcher out on the mound. They all look the same. There's no difference. Every batting style is this type of batting style. And the uniqueness of the game is that, you can have a Louis Tiont and a Nolan Ryan and, and, you know, Andy Pettit or a Jeff Bagwell, a Moises Salou and, uh, Bryce Harper Custer are all different. So different. But now it's become so cookie cutter that everybody, it makes everything easier to coach. And so you really don't develop. You, you just, you go, this is how we want to do it because it's easy for everybody to get. And so that's, it, it's just the whole game has really gotten, uh, Difficult because you're kind of um, hand fed everything you need to do. I mean, every catcher is told what pitch to call because the pretty much the, the pitching coach or the head coach is telling that the catcher you really don't know what you're doing. And by the way, you know I'm making two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and if I lose, I could get fired. And you know I don't want to hinge my job on uh, a 17 year old kid who who's very talented, but doesn't know the game quite yet, and I ain't got time to really teach him because you know NCAA regulations and things like that. So there is so much involved in, in that. And now, for me, I feel like I have to talk to these our our, our players so much more about how how to, to to work at the plate and how how to to make uh, the decisions and and simplify things for them because when they get to college, it's such a uh, you know, as a freshman, if you roll in there and you you don't make a splash right away, you may not see the field again. They'll they'll be done with you. Yeah. So it's really trying to create this setting and let them know their value and how to make adjustments and how to go about their business. But you know, the game the game itself is awesome. It's Perfect games. You know, it's great to watch these this talent. It's 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 there's nothing better. And I'm down there every year. I'll be down there for two weeks at Lake Point, and I'm gonna watch these kids go out there and. And uh, the Abu-Shield Kings national team, American team, they're going to have guys going 95, yeah, maybe even 100 miles an hour. And that's awesome. Hmm. I-, I think that's great. But the thing that I, that's really fun is when I watch that kid throwing 80, 83, but getting everybody out and he knows how to pitch. Now, those are the things. But that coach from the big major school or something, they're not going to be there.
0: Yeah. And
1: if a Division three school was to roll in there to, to talk to a kid, that kid wouldn't give him the time of day. Because their whole goal is for that, uh, that division-born school. And unfortunately, you know, I try to play the, the, the mediator to a lot of these situations with these kids saying that, you know, you know, you want to just get on the field. You want to (laughs) play. You want to play another, you know, going to college for your academics. If you're able to do it through baseball, you just want to play another four years and then let, let those things take care of itself. But I mean, if you want to play at these higher schools, there, there is a difference. And when you go to perfect game, it is a very selfish, selfish situation because the, the college coach wants to see, they want to see all these, you know, uh, spin rates and, yeah. and launch angles and all these new terms that, uh, to me are the same terms we use as, he can hit or he can't, or yeah. he can get somebody out or he can't. Right. Those are all those terms, but it's made, it's made uh sexy by some of the people that's never played or way to, you know, make this game even more sophisticated when it's really a, it's, it's not. So, uh you know, it, there, there is, it, there is such a game within the game now.
0: Two things strike me about uh your, your answer. Number one, first of all, wow, do you have enthusiasm for the game? I was smiling listening to your answer talking about kids and and how excited you are to go watch kids compete, so that's great, but number two, I actually just did a podcast with Chris Spire. Spire broke into the big leagues in the early 70s, played 19 years, very good ball player, three-time all-star, and he subsequently coached uh, a bunch of different teams, managed in the minors, coached in the majors, and he said that he was managing at A-ball one year, and, uh, you know, everybody teaches base running, and Managers get frustrated that teams aren't, that that happens all the time. That's one of the most maddening things. I'm sure you could speak to it as well. That if, you know, somebody messes up, doesn't go first to third, whatever, you drives you nuts. And he said that he was, he was so frustrated that the kids, he wasn't mad at the kids. He just felt that they didn't, they weren't self empowered. He felt that they didn't have the tools to know. What was right and what was wrong because it was so, as you said, force fed to them to some extent. This is how you're going to play. This is how you're going to do it, or whatever. So what he did was he actually basically didn't manage for a week. He said, "You know what, guys," and he wasn't doing it out of frustration. He said, "Let's see what happens for a week if if him and and uh, his uh, top assisted." Just kind of take the the reins off. And kids learn so much, he said in that one week, they figured out, you know what, you gotta cut the bag a little tighter, you know, if the ball's in if you see it in front of you, take the extra base. It was an amazing thing about that. So I'm wondering from your perspective at Miller and travel teams, how do you strike that balance? Because on the one hand, gosh, you have a lot of expertise. I mean, you're one of the greatest relief teachers in the history of baseball. But on the other hand, if kids can teach themselves, that would seem to be such a valuable tool.
1: I think that's the ultimate tool. I think as yeah. a coach, that's what that that is your that's how you should be valuing yourself. Is you know I've I taught you these 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 the game. Now how how you got to have an instinct. These kids need to have an instinct to the game. Mm. If you and it goes back to the, the hand fit. If I'm telling you what to throw, when to throw, how to throw and, and you you're never. Ask to really make these adjustments or see things for yourself. Then how do you really grow? Because now you don't know the questions to, to ask, and you don't. And so, <clears throat> and and so, like our catcher this year, uh, Adam Hackenberg. He he's looked to be uh, going the uh, first couple rounds of, of the draft. He's a yep. catcher. Uh, he's uh, going to Clemson. Yeah, yeah. The best thing I can do for that kid is to give him boundaries, and all I can do is to polish a little bit. Hmm. The other stuff is you call the game. Now, I'm not going to get mad if you mess up, but I want to know when I ask you a question, why? I want to know why and what you're thinking, because if you can't ask me the right question of why and how, then we can't get better. I want you to understand what you're looking for. I want you to make the mistakes so that you can get better, because you can't get better if you just, you know, you you can't make the mistakes. But I also want you to have that fearlessness that I'm going to make this call and if it works great, if it doesn't, you know what, I'm, you know, this is what I saw and I don't have to worry about this because, well, nowadays, nowadays, a oh, holy cow, I can't even imagine a catcher getting the opportunity to make this call yeah. in a, in a situation that the, that, that, you know, could could cost you a, a game or get into the playoffs or, or, or something like that. But because, you know, it's, you know, you haven't had to make that decision, yeah. And so I think it's really important for for kids to to have the leniency to, to make the error, to make the mistake, so that you can coach. I, I think you have to coach the basics. I think you talk through the game, but I also think, for me, what I like to do, and I, I really try hard, is to have my practices is very very developmental. I, I want. This is what we're working on. This is what I want to do. And when we we break it down to work on, this is why we're doing it. Now, in the games, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you suggestions. I have suggestions for bunts. I have everything. I tell them, you know, there's only like three times that are mandatory. You have to do it when you're hitting. Uh, and so, you know, if it's a, a sack situation, a hit and run, or uh, or uh, a take. Yeah. But you know those situations. Dictate, and for the most part, I, I really, I I, re- I for me, I I do not enjoy the game because I'm looking at the developmental part of it, and so I'm just sitting back and I'm writing notes. Half the time, I forget to get a sign because I'm sitting here watching. <laughs> you know what? Uh, he needs to get this. He needs to get a bigger lead. Mm. He needs to do this because the game is bigger than the game right now for me. It's I, I need you to get better, and and the guys that have went on for me. <clears throat> Like a uh, Tanner Morris or a Will Wagner or guys that went through the whole system of Mike Daly and guys that went on to play college ball and, and are going to be successful are the ones that, that were given that opportunity to mess up. Just do your thing. Go go get your uh, go make your mistake. Don't go first and third, you know, or just so that you're able to 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 learn from it because. The coaches are going to go, why aren't you going that way? This is right here. Now they're going to be able to look at Now it's, I'm going to play safe because I'm going to play not to lose. And when you play not to lose, you might as well have quit. So I think those opportunities of playing apprehensive and and things have gotten in the way. And and I think that for all the things that we want to talk about as far as everyone getting to play in Little League and getting a, a medal that feel self-valued has affected all these things of – I don't want to make an error. I don't want to make a bad throw. I don't. I don't want to lose. I don't want to do this. And so, these are so emotionally challenged before they they get there. So they're going to play it safe. I, I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to take a swing that you know I I you know, I could possibly hit a home run. But what if they yeah. always play that? What if I fail instead of a what if uh, I go about and and I get that base hit or I do these things and you know, yeah. giving them boundaries to, to to understand so that they can grow within those boundaries and and knowing that. Hey, if a guy's three zero on you and you're down by two runs, you know you you don't take this wild swing, you know when there's nobody on. You know you try you just try to teach them through through uh, having a good conversation, but through examples and but they gotta go they've gotta experience that situation, the anxiety of of <clears throat> it being on their shores and and then maybe not coming through and that the coach comes up and pats him on the button and goes Hey, I want you there tomorrow. Or, yep. you know, or the kid who doesn't handle the situation well and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just his frustration gets out and so he loses his poise. But those are all things that we as coaches in high school have to allow to happen so that we can allow them to grow. We are subconscious in how that reflects into to the coaches. Oh, he's not coached very well. well yeah, I don't want my kid out there f-bombing umpires yeah. and showing people up and doing things like that. But I also want them to be okay to voice their opinion and have passion in what they do within reason. So, you know, I, I think there's such a long there's such a long uh, line of why the game has gotten to the point and why kids feel this, uh, uh, I, I guess, this uh, apprehension when they play the game sometimes because. When the real kids go out there and they're very aggressive and, and they play, they're they're
0: the ones who get the playing time. Uh, I'm going to bounce back back and forth a little bit just because I'm so fascinated by both the teaching element of your life and career and your uh, playing element. And I want to return to playing for one second. It's an interesting. I don't know that I've ever asked this question before, and I've, I've interviewed so many ex pitchers, especially. I'm just fascinated by pitching. And and so I, I I'm scared that I'm going to ask this question. and The answer is going to be I don't know. I was just <laughs> able to do it, but I'm going to ask anyway you know, I played one year, I played mostly basketball growing up, I played one year of Little League, I was terrible and, you know, even even guys who go along and they play high school, they play college or whatever, to get to the point where you can actually throw 99 miles an hour let alone throw with command, let alone have a hammer, you know, breaking pitch, whatever it feels like a superpower to me, it's just, there are not that many human beings in the history of the world that can throw 98, 99, 100, so I, I guess I want to ask you, and, and again, maybe the answer is, I don't know, it's God given, and I'm okay with that if that's the answer, but how does that happen, and what does that feel like to know that you're standing on the mound, and if you want to, you can throw 99 miles an hour? Huh.
1: Well, I think that that is that's one of the biggest questions ever. That's asked to me consistently. Yeah. How could you do that? How did you do that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, when I came out of high school, I'm throwing 78 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour. Yeah. I, I mean – I was, uh, effectively wild. Um, I'm five, five, 135 pounds, rolling out of high school. <laughs> then I get to, I get to college and I go to play, um, <clears throat> football and I, I grow because I'm really in the weight room and maturity kind of finally hits because I'm a late bloomer. So now I'm, now I'm a whopping like five, nine, 170 pounds. <laughs> so, um uh, uh, and so. And with that, I, you know, my velocity changed. Now, now my first year in, in college ball, I'm ninety two, ninety five. Okay. Now I am effectively, I'm still effectively wild. And so, um, and so, I was given the, the, my coach allowed me to to grow with that. And so he didn't, he didn't overcoach me. He let me learn it. So I guess the answer to your question is a little bit of, you know, it's God given, but I also think it's for me it was also a fear of failure. Hmm. And I used uh I use uh Eckersley's line because I think it is really emphatic to what I was feeling. I I, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't I didn't want to feel like I wasn't uh accepted or should have been there or having that. And so that uh, fear of failure that uh created that more now, I'll be honest with you. There are so many times I go on I couldn't tell you how hard I was. Going. Hmm. Because that was not, I, I I mean, I can't, I could never rate myself. Uh, what raised myself was if that guy swung and missed, or if uh, we won the game. Because there's so many times that I didn't have very good stuff and and I won, and there's times I had very good stuff and I didn't, I didn't do well. So, I, I don't know. If <clears throat> You know, there there is this, you know, this scientific measure of why things are, but that's why, to me, baseball is so awesome hmm. because you can't explain everything, and I don't want to explain everything. I don't want instant replay because, you know what, I want Joe West behind the, mat, the, <laughs> behind the plate, and you know what, and you're battling to make that pitch, and you know what, uh, I, I want those things. You know, I know the game would be the game is perfect without it being perfect, and so I, those are the things why I watch a Roy Oswalt go out there and throw ninety seven and then throw an eighty two on that curve off the same mechanics. It just yeah. uh, to me is amazing. Mm-hmm. Or watch watch uh, Pedro Martinez go out and do what he mm-hmm. did, and watch a Roger Clemens or uh, the Unit or these types of guys go out and do what they do. But you know what? There were so, there's 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 no stature limit here you know what we did what we did because that's just you know that's that's what that, that's what we were blessed to do and you know how we got there is crazy Roy uh Roy Oswald told me that he he got his superpower for throwing hard because he was uh trying to jump start a battery in a in a tractor and it shocked him <laughs> I mean yeah so I mean you know it's these that's the neatness of the game. Yeah. they watching a baseball game where every guy comes out and throws ninety five to a hundred miles an hour is not fun. Yeah. Or every hitter comes out there and stands in the box the same way. It's there's there's it's not it, there's nothing to that. Where you go out there and you got a Craig Biggio or or uh you know, or you know, that there's just I like that difference. I like that that you know and you know what, I don't need to be Six foot five, six foot ten to throw a hundred miles an hour. I don't have to be, uh, you know, this size to hit a home run. I I I put the bat on the ball, or I I you know I got a guy throwing hard, and I put the good part of the bat on the ball. probably, probably going to go out anyway. Mm. So I mean, I think that uh, uh, all those things that have have really uh, that that was my thing. I, I mean I I'm, I'm, I remember walk, stepping in. Facing Barry Bonds and uh, and uh, <laughs> Matt Williams and my catcher and I had bases loaded, one out in the Astrodome, and I remember Randy going walking out and he goes, "Hey, we're going to lose six fastballs here, and we're going to the house." All right. And I <laughs> and I threw six fastballs, and we went to the house. Oh man! And so with with three with two punch outs, that that game was just something. That that I didn't have to be I didn't have to be six foot ten to achieve that. Yeah. I had to have and and you know, whatever we want the uh you know, that naive stupid hey you're facing Barry Bonds and Matt Williams, and who cares, here we go. You know, it was <laughs> it was I wanna win and my catcher believes in me and that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to get you out and you know, and as, as nervous and, and as much anxiety and fear of failure that I had at that point that drove me to be able to do what I was able to do and you know maybe there is no rhyme or reason why I was able to do what I was able to do I mean uh but I was able to do it and uh you know so for there, there's a ton of opinions that uh relievers it doesn't it's you know it's not a big thing and and stuff but there's two guys that I, I really, really love to hear because uh, they they were a starter and they were relievers in Eckersley and uh, Smoltz. Yeah, uh, were probably two of the greatest relievers I've ever sure. relievers slash starters ever. And I remember sitting in the bullpen in the All Star game with uh, John Smoltz, who by all means. I love Mariano Rivera, but if John Smoltz decided he wanted to be just a closer, he would have been the greatest ever. Oh, he was insanely good. His stuff was phenomenal. But I remember sitting there watching him getting ready for the game, and he was a wreck, chewing his knuckles. And, wow! I mean, he he yeah he's a, he's nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 that's that to me was when I finally went. You know what? I really like this game much more because that's how I feel before I go out. I'm, hmm. You know, and so, uh, you know, the passion of those games and, and the passion that each individual
0: brings uh, is different, but that's what makes the game so awesome. Right. I love all that. Smoltz, former podcast guest of mine too. I love talking to him. He's such an interesting guy. I want to ask yeah. you, totally is. I want to ask you just to follow up on that point a little bit. um you know, in the modern era, and maybe this goes back, it feels like this was something that existed before and now we've come back to it. It's not quite as specialized as it was. When you were called on, you were usually up, you know, one to three runs, bases empty, ninth uh-huh. inning. Maybe maybe you're closing out the eighth, but for the most part, you're a traditional closer. Now you've got guys coming in in the seventh and you've got guys coming in in tie games, uh, you know, at home and, and what have you. It's not quite as straight up, let's let this guy get 45 saves. as It used to be, it's about, what do they say, high leverage situations and things like that. And as somebody who was there, who was in the trenches, who heard his own closer music, who ran to the mound, you know, vein popping and all that stuff, and was like, okay, here we go six times and we're going to the house. What do you make of that? Can you get up the same way, not knowing exactly what your role is going to be on a certain night? Are you a fan of the of the closer orthodoxy? Or as a coach or even as an ex-pitcher, do you believe, all right, he's my hammer out of the bullpen. I'm going to use him whatever. In the fifth and the ninth, I don't care. Well,
1: oh, I, I believe that if if a pitcher, whether he's a closer, middleman, or whatever, knows what he's, he's, his role is. Yeah. And that role is, you know, uh, you could pitch anywhere from the seventh to the ninth. Whatever point part that I need you, and I know as a pitcher, that I have to be ready at that point. Mm. From that point on, then I don't think it's a problem. Okay. I, I I don't. I think I think you go out and do it. I my first save ever was a three out was a three uh, inning save. Oh wow! Gee. Uh, so so if that was how that was supposed to be for the rest of my career, and that's how I knew to do it, that's how I would do it. Mm. It wouldn't be the uh, it wouldn't be the oh you can only pitch an inning, but as it turned out. You were an inning to an inning and a third uh, type guy, and this was it. And so um, those those were the parameters. And so you know, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I've always thought it, it doesn't matter when you use it's how you use them, and if they know about it. If if you're the closer and you've been a one inning closer your your whole life, and all of a sudden they call down in the seventh inning until you get ready, you're not ready. Mm. I, I, you're, you're not going to be ready. And you can say, well, it's just baseball. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing because we're we're creatures of habit. We are those guys who are going to go out there and that you have this routine and 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 this is how you do it. Now, if that if that you go, hey, you know what? You got to be ready from seven to We Okay, got you. Let's go to work. Hey, this is this is my job description. I know that. And so, and that was Goose gossip, That was Fingers. Those those were those yeah. guys but when when Eckersley got there, and they said you're a one inning guy, okay, and then you know Mariano, you're an inning, you were behind wetland, so you pitched that uh, maybe the seventh eight well, he knew the seventh and eighth was ready for him, and he knew that he was going wetland was going to get the ninth, but if you are groomed to do that that then I, you're not going to have that issue, hmm. but you know your standards of who is qualified as a closer or what do the numbers really mean. Then, then, then I think that changes discussions. I, I don't think you take uh, uh Andrew Miller and tell him he's he's not as good because he only got two hundred and seven saves when in his career. But man, this guy was dominant. Oh yeah, he was dominant. So I, I mean, I think you have to make a, a decision on what what, do you, what is what what is the uh role, and so. If, you know, from my era and Trevor and, and Franco and, and our airs, it was one inning. That was sort of how it was. Yeah. And I mean, you had, I mean, you had, you know, two dominating, uh, setup guys that got you the ball and you went out there and did your thing. Now, you know, that was the luxury you had. I mean, I had Dotel and Lidge, or I had, uh, Mike Jackson and, um Flash. I had, you know, I had some, some, whew, Dominating uh, setup men, but the, you know you had those guys for that reason. And you, your starters, we didn't have starters like you know we had with Nolan, and those would go out there and throw 145 pitches a game, and 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 come back four or five days later and do it again. You, you didn't have those guys. If you had a starter that, I mean, with the Mets if, when I was there, if we had a guy who went over 16, buddy, we were in <laughs> we were in great shape. And and that's just that's the way the game was. You know, you you played to the sixth inning and then all your, your relievers are in there. So you know, you had to be careful because you didn't carry as many relievers and it, and you had specialized relievers. So if you put guys in a certain situation you would you you were gonna he was gonna probably be down for a day or two. And so, you know, if the manager comes out and tells you that when when you come to that organization or when you show up, this is how I wanna use you I this is I'm gonna tell you right now, there's not a pitcher that goes if if he's grown to go that way, then he's that okay, let's go. But you can't take a, a one any guy and decide, Okay, you know what, we're gonna you're gonna start pitching, you know, when you're thirty five and you've been there for 10, 12 years and you go, Okay, you're gonna start pitching, be ready in that seventh and you may pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Hey, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> But it's about being groomed to that point. But I think if you groom them, yeah, oh, do it. I think watching these guys go out there and really dominate for three innings is phew, is is more impressive than uh, the guy maybe for one. Except that if that guy pitches three innings and throws a lot of pitches, well, he ain't gonna pitch for another two, three days. Yeah. But if I pitch if I pitch one inning, I may pitch four or five days.
0: Yeah. To so your point,
1: it's really what, whatever way you want to do it, and you can draw the conclusion that this isn't, you know, they're they're over, anybody can pitch that night. Well, there's been a lot of people say that, and there's been only a few that can go out there and say they've done it consistently year after year after year after year. And that, those are the, those are the things that everybody says. You as team that they'll say, they'll say the same stuff. Well, it doesn't matter. Anybody can do it until all of a sudden the guys that keep running out there can. And then they'll say, the, they'll say, oh man, I got to, Anita, uh, we need a closer. No I doubt. Mean, that's just that's just the way the game is, uh, is. But I do believe that there, if you can have that luxury of having that guy and go out there and pitch in two, three innings, and he can do it on a on a a, a basis sort of like Goose, and mm-hmm. those guys have been great. That, but you know, you better have two of them <laughs> because he's gonna be down for a couple of days, and if he's not, then you know. Great. He's,
0: he's Superman. To your point, by the way, uh, one of my favorite pitchers to watch in all baseball, another mm-hmm. Astro, Chris Davinsky. Man, did I love him last, last <laughs> year in particular. Breakout season, that hammer change up and just, yeah, I'll go out and throw two and two-thirds. And, you know, it, just, it really is something that a guy comes into the game – in the fifth and carries you into the eighth. And then it's all right. We built a four run lead and we're good. It really is something I, I much respect for guys like that, as well as traditional closers. But I, I like that role. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I think, I think, I think it's, it's probably, you
1: know, you can probably get more out of, uh, out of your pitchers because, you know, I mean, they have to be more pitchers. Yeah. To me, they have to be more pitchers. I mean, I was a two pitch pitcher and I came out there and, uh, there was no question what, what I was going to throw and how I was going to throw it and where I was going to throw it. Yeah. Here you go. If you can hit it and you can beat me good, here you go. i mean, same with Mariano. Same with Trevor. I'm yeah, Mariano had I mean, one chance. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, you you're forced to be a whole yeah. lot different player when uh, you're uh, in that situation. And you know what? Uh, if that, I, you know, I don't know why they got away from that and. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that either way you, you should be penalized mm. either way is being what, what you are is what you are. I have no decision on, I could never go and tell my manager, hey, you know what? I should be throwing three innings <laughs> every three days. You know, I, you know, those are things that they decided and I, it wasn't something that, you know, it wasn't, oh, Billy Wagner only pitches one inning or Mariano can only pitch, uh, this or
0: that you know it's it's hey you're the manager you created this thing so it's it's. this what it is but one last question for you um it was interesting the way you ended your career. You know, I think back to David Ortiz, who just ended his career recently, and man, he went out with a bang. I mean, he was so good in his final season, and, you know, much the same with you. Your final season, you end up with the Braves. You meet your hero, Dale Murphy, which is already the coolest, and Murphy's I, I love i have got to chat with him a little bit. I love that guy, too. He's a big fan. And, and you pitch for the Braves. You strike out 104 batters in 69 in a third. You save uh, a whole bunch of games, 37 games, and you strike out the last four batters that you face in the big leagues. And at a time when you make the All-Star team for the seventh time, crushing everybody, pitching like you're 25, you're like, no, I'm good. I'm all set. I'm leaving. How, what goes into a decision like that? Because, you know, some players will look at it and say, oh, gosh, I got five more years left in me, and you're saying – nope, I think it's run its course. I'm going out on top, and that's about it. What what mentally goes through your mind as you're trying to make that decision where you probably could pitch effectively for a while longer and choose not to? Well, it was more or less my family. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean there there, there was uh,
1: physical concerns, of course, but uh, but it was really more about my family and, and wanting to be there for. For my boys and, and my daughter, uh, and my wife was, they were getting at the age where they needed to, to, they needed to go out and they needed daddy being home a little bit more and they needed, uh, to be able to, to do something. They needed to be able to get out and start their career. And, um, you know, I, it was always about the, 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 my family. Yeah. Um you know, I think if it would have been really, I, I, I declared I was going to retire at the beginning of the season. And, you know, it has been real easy to sit there, and go, oh, you know what? Uh <laughs> uh you know, let me change my mind that I'm having a good year and a little, yeah. but nobody would said a word if i just sucked. You know, so it was it wasn't like it was one of those things where, you know, I, I decided, eh, I'm gonna ride out on top because at that point I had no idea what the top was. Hmm. I didn't know if I you know how I was gonna go this season. I mean, um you know, I, I, you know, I would, I remember talking when I went and told Bobby, I said, hey, they'd offer me a two year deal. And I told Bobby that, that at the, my, it's probably about opening day. I walked in his office and I told him, hey, just want to let you know, uh, I'm going to retire after you this year. Hmm. You know, he's like, no, man, you're top of your game, da 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 da. <laughs> you know, but it's also, you know, um, it it's what's best for not just, myself but for my family could i probably pitch another? yeah probably yeah but point being that you know this was more than this was about more than just me and so and and that's that's you know that's what what it was about and you know when i finished when i finished i you know it was great to be able to finish the way i did but i mean i don't think i would have ever pictured going out quite that way and it working out that way uh uh but,
0: you know, I'm glad it did. Uh, great stuff on all fronts. And like I said, I, I love talking to someone with so much enthusiasm for what they do, whatever they do. And in your case, uh, it's baseball. So much respect to you for your career and also for uh, the great job that you're doing coaching at the Miller School. And uh, I very much appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Oh well, Hey, well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan.